Well, again, a good morning to each of you and a good morning to our online audience as well as we continue in this important and sacred season of Advent, that ancient word that means coming, uh, that prepares us both for the coming of Jesus and his birth and the coming of Jesus in the coming of his second coming and kingdom. Amen? Amen. And we give thanks for the symbols of Advent, the wreath which we've lit so beautifully. I'm grateful to the Hardy family, uh, this candle of joy that reminds us that this is not only a season of reflection, not only a season of hope and uh, peace, but it is a season of joy. And joy is more than just a happy feeling, amen? Uh, Joy is a deeper, deeper feeling of knowing God's love and rejoicing even in the midst of struggle and uncertainty. And probably in the midst of the pandemic, joy means more to us than ever before, amen? We treasure all that God gives us that brings us joy. And I'm grateful for the Christmas tree. I mentioned it earlier, but there's such symbols there, too, that point us toward this wonderful gift of Jesus. And uh, we're grateful, so grateful, uh, for the gift of Christ. As our kids said, most of them, though toys are important, um, that Jesus is indeed a gift to us, bringing us all sorts of joy and hope and peace. Uh, Today we continue in our sermon series, Incarnation, uh, that ancient doctrine of of celebrating that God loved us so much that God came among us as a child. And kind of as we talked about before, Incarnation comes from a word that basically means enfleshed or to take meat on the bones, right? And it's not not God in a shell. Uh, In fact, it's God as human with all the feelings and all the experiences uh, that humanity experiences, right? We've talked about that. Sadness and joy, pain and and healing, uh, junior high, right? I mean, Jesus knew all of that, right? That, That amazing gift that Jesus came to in flesh among us, to live among us, to be a gift among us. And as the word in John, which we'll read a little bit toward the end of this sermon, reminds us, he pitched his tent among us. The Greek, he tabernacled. And you'll remember, if you remember from Exodus and Old Testament or Hebrew scripture, remember before the temple was built, God resided in this temple or this tabernacle. Remember the tents that moved around. And as it moved around, it was set up to remind us that God goes wherever we go. So in many ways, incarnation is Jesus reminding us that God pitched his tent and tabernacled in our midst. Somewhere we would get an amen. Amen? It's a gift to us that God would love us so much. And too often in the church, we focus too much on resurrection, though I don't know if you can do that, right? The promise of life and new life and uh, victory over death and salvation and, and power and victory over sin. Amen? But incarnation is equally important as a doctrine of the church and councils throughout the centuries have affirmed this identity of Jesus because it reminds us so clearly that God loved you and God loved me and God loved us and God loved the world that he sent his only son among us. Amen? Amen. Today we um, hear a passage again and encounter that ancient word Emmanuel. In the Old Testament or Hebrew scripture, begins with an I because of the Hebrew, and in Matthew it begins with an E because of the Greek. But whatever the case, it basically translates God with us. Amen? And we've sung O Come, O Come, Emmanuel this morning, and we sing other songs, and we sometimes forget the power of that word. I want you to think about when people have come alongside you 
or have been there for you or have helped sustain you when you've experienced deep and abiding challenge. I remember my church in Rockford, uh, a, a man named Robert who had and continued to go through recovery as a part of our congregation's ministry. And Robert was so good that whenever anyone else was struggling with addiction, whether it be alcohol, drugs, or whatever, or if they had family members who were struggling with addiction, Robert, when he found out, would often call them and say to them, I am coming alongside you. I'm going to be with you. I am here for you because I somewhat know what you've experienced. Isn't that powerful? I think about uh, my own mother. I grew up uh, you know, with a brother and a sister, my parents, but what a lot of people don't know is that my mother had four miscarriages before I was born. I, I still can't grasp the pain of that in her life. Amen? But what I do know is that whenever anyone in our community or in our church had that same experience, my mother reached out. And often I remember women calling or women stopping by or women meeting her somewhere and my mother not solving it, but my mother listening and sharing and coming alongside and helping that person to know they were not alone. Amen? I remember several years ago, you remember, some of you, my fourth year, I fell into an amazingly deep, deep depression. Really, it was hard. It just came out of nowhere. And some of you know what that's like. And there were all kinds of people who said, you just need to pick up your bootstraps. Well, I don't wear boots, right? <laughs> oh, you know, tomorrow will be a better day. The sun will come out. They wanted to sing from the musical Annie. You know what I'm saying, right? But it didn't feel that way. But it was one friend who came to visit me in my apartment and just sat with me and said, it's not easy. You're not alone. Depression is complex, and I'm here for you. I'm not here to give you answers. I'm not here to be Sally Sunshine. I'm here to be a sign that God is in this and with you in the midst of this pain. For me, that is a powerful word for us today when we read this beautiful, beautiful story from Matthew. But I want you to hear these words from Isaiah as well because it's this text from chapter 7 that, uh, that Matthew quotes. And I, I just want you to hear uh, this beautiful word from uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to King Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. It's too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel, and he shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land before whose kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Now that probably means very little to you, right? Amen? But it helps us to know the context 
of what Matthew is quoting uh, as the angel spoke to Matthew in such a, uh, spoke to Joseph in such a difficult place. For those of us who need a little Bible lesson, here it is. You remember there was once a kingdom, one kingdom, and David had been the king. Remember that? Hello, are you awake? Right, okay. And then David died and he had a son named Solomon, right? You knew that, amen, right, okay. And then Solomon died and the kingdom split. A portion, uh, nine or ten tribes decided they would not follow Solomon's son and so they created a separate empire and a separate kingdom and made Samaria its capital. And then Judah, Benjamin, and maybe Simeon, they stayed in the south, and they became known as Judah. Two kingdoms, shared a lot of commonalities, had a lot of common heritage, you know, but nonetheless often were at odds with one another and sometimes in coalition with one another. You'll be reminded that at a particular time, there was a large empire called the Assyrians, Assyria. Assyria was tough and mean and would do horrible things to anyone who did not fall under their control. And at the time that Assyria was in place, the northern kingdom, Israel, headquartered in Samaria, and the kingdom of Aram, or what we know as current-day Syria, were kind of allies together and decided that they would join together and throw off the Assyrians and stop paying such high taxes and have their own freedom. Now remember, Assyria was a huge empire and had such power and might, but these two believed it, and they believed that if they could get Judah, where King Ahaz is the king, to join in with them in the coalition, then they would indeed have victory. But Ahaz, often prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, is very nervous and concerned. In fact, prior to this chapter, it said that the people are shaking like trees in the wind. If you were here yesterday, that's exactly what they felt like, Amen. And so they're uncertain. Now, I wish I could point uh, that Ahaz was a really faithful guy. He wasn't. In fact, he'll turn out to be really disappointing. He'll align with Assyria. He'll take gold out of the temple, ship it as a special gift through Harry and David. You know what I'm saying? He's that kind of guy. He worships other gods. He's not faithful to God. But in this moment, as Isaiah is speaking to him, he decides not to come with the coalition. And so what you can bet is that Assyria, or Aram, and Israel decide, Judah, if you're not going to join us, you're against us, we're going to destroy you. And of course, Ahaz is terrified. I won't go into the great details, but I want you to think about the context of deep fear of invasion, lots of conflict and uncertainty, Assyria on the horizon, everything's up in the air, everything seems uncertain, everything seems challenging, people are not sure what's next. Anybody feel that way? Isaiah says, Ahaz asked for a sign. Ahaz says, I won't test the Lord. It makes us think he's very faithful, but the reality is he doesn't want a sign <laughs> because the sign may call him into something he doesn't want to do. But then Isaiah offers the sign that a young woman, that's one of the translations of the Hebrew word, or a virgin will give birth to a son. And in the midst of this, the birth of a son will be the sign of hope and possibility, even as you think your two neighbors to the north are going to invade. And when that son is able to eat curds and honey, which for us means nothing, but let's translate solid food, those other two kingdoms will begin to dissipate. In fact, when that young child knows the difference between good and evil, I assure you, Ahaz, Aram and Israel will be no more. There's hope that 
You will not be invaded. You will not lose this battle. There is hope. If you trust in God, if you put your trust and quit trusting in all the other things that you think are important, whatever it may be, if you really focus yourself on God and you see this beautiful sign of a, of a child born to a virgin in the midst of uncertainty and brokenness, you will see hope. You will see peace. You will experience joy. And so that happens. And in fact, what happens is that Assyria comes and eventually destroys Israel and Aram. Now my point is, to give you that context, to know that when, when, when the angel quotes this to Joseph in this beautiful dream that changes his opinion of the situation with Mary, it's, it, it, that whole story comes into mind, right? That whole background plays out that in the midst of war and uncertainty and political alignment and all that, in the midst of a, 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 an engagement that looks like it's going to fall apart, there will be a son, there will be a child, and the child will be Emmanuel. And we've talked about this till we're blue in the face, right? God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. So this word Emmanuel, which is just mentioned briefly in all of the New Testament, is really, I think, one of the most powerful images of Jesus. I loved last week when we talked about Jesus as Savior. I loved two weeks ago when we talked about Jesus as anointed Messiah. The Greek word of that is Christ. And I love talking about Jesus as king of my life. But I love this concept, this belief, this promise that I'm never alone, even when I'm lost, even when I'm depressed, even when I'm uncertain, even when I'm facing COVID-19 and its various variants, that the reality is God continues to speak to us as he spoke through Isaiah. We are not alone. God is with us. Amen? And then we think about these wonderful words uh, that we hear often on Christmas Eve from John, chapter 1. And I want you to hear these as our final images of Jesus today. John doesn't offer a beautiful story like Luke of shepherds and angels and mangers and cattle lowing, amen? He doesn't give us the kind of brief but controversial story of Jesus' birth that Matthew gives in which Joseph is about to dismiss Mary quietly. Amen. John is much more poetic. And John says these words to celebrate this gift of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and that's a capital W. And you know that the Greek word for word is logos. Did you know that? Logos, which basically means word. <laughs> or wisdom, or teaching, and it's a Greek word that goes on and we use all the time, the word logic, or ology, like biology, or theology, or pneumatology, or whatever it may be, right? These deep words of wisdom and teaching. Jesus is the word, the teaching, the wisdom, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Do you see that gift of incarnation just in that sentence? He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. There's this beautiful promise that Jesus is indeed God enfleshed among us. And then he goes on, what has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, 
was coming into the world. So deeply connected to the concepts of Emmanuel and Jesus as Savior and as anointed and Messiah and Christ is the gift of Jesus' word, big W, wisdom, teaching, the word of God, the living word, and Jesus as light in the midst of darkness, light that overcomes darkness, light that outshines darkness, light that has victory over the shadows and brokenness of the world. So when we think about Christmas, it's more than a sweet manger scene. Oh, I love that. Amen? It's the deeper promise of God's abiding love for us, loving us so much to come among us as light and word and Savior and Messiah and anointed and Christ and King and Emmanuel. One who knows us, knows our journey, and walks with us. In Adam Hamilton's book, which we're using as a part of the study, Senior Pastor at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, he reminds us of a, a powerful story. You may remember several years ago the Ebola crisis in Africa. Do you remember that? People were dying, especially in Liberia. There were a host of doctors there, and as the uh, Ebola crisis emerged, people who had been there from other countries to help with it began to see that it was basically out of control. And all of, all of the, a lot of those doctors in Morovia left and went back to Europe and the United States, but one doctor stayed. And he worked with victims of Ebola. He tried to restore their lives. It's, it's a terrible disease, as you well know. And, and, and in many ways, I, I, when I read the story, I think, what would I have done? I don't know. I'm going to be honest. But he stayed. And as you can imagine, as you can imagine, he contracted Ebola. When everyone else had left, when everyone else had not cared for those in deep need, he found himself on a plastic tarp near death. He tells the story that throughout the night, he thought he wasn't going to make it, but as the sun dawned in that room in the hospital as he lay on this plastic tarp at basically the end of his life, a young man named Patrick, an orderly, came into the room. And he picked him up and he held him. And he washed him. And he cleansed him. And he put clothes on him. And he carried him to a bed. And he prayed with him. And the doctor lived. And to this day, he remembers Patrick as a sign of God's presence, Emmanuel, with him. Because Patrick is a person who follows the Messiah, the King, the Anointed. Emmanuel was willing to risk himself to come among that doctor's deepest struggle to show compassion and hope. This story of Emmanuel isn't about Jesus divorced from who we are, right? This isn't something we just sing about. It's how we live, friends. How will we be Emmanuel and light and the word to the world? Pastor James, I really just wanted a Hallmark card today. Well, too bad, right? <laughs> I just wanted to sing a carol and hang an ornament and maybe get a cookie on the way out. Too bad. Advent is a challenging season because Emmanuel not only is a gift to us, 
but calls us to be a gift to others. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that he is Messiah and anointed, Christ, Savior, Son of God. But today, God, we thank you that he is light and the Word made flesh, Emmanuel. And with some fear, and yet with deep, deep love, we commit ourselves to be your love, your hope, your joy, and your light in the world. You said you are the light of the world. You don't put a light under a bushel basket. You let it shine. So God, in this world that's so broken, so divided, so unbelievably messed up, may we be Emmanuel, your love to others. In Jesus' name.